Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. It's interesting, you know, these election deniers for people who say we shouldn't trust elections, they sure do like running in them. Losing a race, but gaining a platform inside the election deniers playbook. It's Tuesday, February 27th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, the sun is sending up solar flares at a surprising pace. What does it mean? And, love it or hate it, the trend of speeding up songs is changing the music business. No matter how the original is, it, it kind of sounds both like freaky and also really thrilling when it's sped up. If you're listening to this at normal speed, that's coming up in about 15 minutes. But first, Donald Trump is not the only candidate this year who denies the results of the 2020 election. At least 16 other election deniers are running for office, though many of them are massaging that rhetoric and talking more generally about election integrity. Joanna Lidgate is tracking election deniers running for office with her group States United Action. She spoke to Scott Tong. So just briefly, what is your definition of election denier? Well, an election denier is someone who has called into question the integrity of our elections. These are people who still haven't admitted that the 2020 election was free and fair and valid. This has become a movement all across the country. It Mm. is a campaign platform people are running on, people are raising money off of. And I think the really scary thing, Scott, Mm -hmm. is that it's a movement that hasn't gone away. It's only grown in numbers. It's something we see playing out all across the country and at all different levels uh, of government mm-hmm. and um, and elected office. Well, I want to ask you about, you know, how the election is being talked about by, by these candidates. We are, of course, more than three years on from the 2020 election. As far as claims of a stolen or rigged election, there have been challenges, no evidence of widespread fraud. And we know Donald Trump's former AG, Bill Barr, has said the election was not stolen today. For the people who have rejected the 2020 results, are they using the same rhetoric or do you see it evolving? You know, some are and some aren't, Scott. There there are some who are continuing to really hammer home, you know, the, the idea that the, that the election was stolen, the idea that our elections can't be trusted. We watched voters really roundly dismiss these claims in the, in the midterms in 2022. Mm-hmm. We just actually released a poll with the Bipartisan Policy Center that shows that Americans have a lot of confidence um, in their election officials, in their votes being counted. 
There are some other candidates, though, who are backing away from those claims. And, and I think that's because they realize that it's a losing campaign strategy. It, it did not win them races in the midterms uh, or mm-hmm. last year. And so they're starting to focus on other issues. So for, for candidates whose rhetoric is starting to pivot a little bit, uh, I, I gather your team and others have found that there's, there's a lot of focus now on terms like election integrity. Tell us what they mean. Yeah, you see the words changing a little bit. And the reason that we that we track what people have said in the past is we think it's so important to really uh, hold people accountable for those statements. Not only have they damaged trust in our elections, not only have they caused election officials to be dealing with threats and harassment because of the lies that they've spewed, but they've told us what they believe. They've told us where they stand. And in the end, if we elect them into office and they have any kind of oversight over our votes, um, we need to be really concerned about that. One of the most prominent public rejectors of the 2020 results is Carrie Lake. Mm -hmm. She ran for Arizona governor in 2022. She lost. She's now running for Senate. And here she is talking about a, quote, stolen election to local KTAR News. I don't know who exactly stole the election, but there are a lot of people who are running elections poorly. So there's it seems to be a change in tone here. I, I mean, talking about people running elections poorly uh, for officials who are talking more about, say, ballot boxes, mail-in ballots, trying to, to pivot. They're actually also focusing on new things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Carrie Lake is an example of someone who I think still hasn't admitted that she lost that race, who challenged the results that damages our system. It causes our hardworking election officials to have to do work uh, and deal with threats that they shouldn't have to. Um, and yes, Scott, you hear the rhetoric change a little bit, but the, but the fundamental message is the same. It's interesting, you know, these election deniers for people who say we shouldn't trust elections, they sure do like running in them. Um, we see a lot of them running again now for other offices, uh, mm. and Carrie Lake is is one example. And they may have lost a race in the past, but they did unfortunately gain a platform. Right. I want to ask you about a couple of key uh, public offices uh, that are kind sure. of germane to this. One is the Secretary of State overseeing the electoral process in each state. Do you worry about election skeptics moving into that job? I mean, what what could someone do if he or she wanted to nudge the election one way or the other? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is why we track the election denier movement so closely. The Secretary of State races are, of course, particularly important because those are the people who are, at the end of the day, typically the top election official for their state, the person overseeing the running of an election, the counting mm-hmm. of ballots, the certifying of results. And and we've seen election deniers try to run for that office. Luckily, uh, American voters turned out in the midterms and 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 really pretty overwhelmingly rejected election denier candidates in the Secretary of State races. They had a extremely okay. high loss rate. What, what does the situation look like now? Are, are there any uh, of these election deniers currently in the job as a Secretary of State? There are election deniers who are in positions as Secretary of State right now in various parts of the country. Thankfully, in the midterms, the election denier candidates lost all of their races for secretary of state in the battleground states. Yeah. 
Joanna Lidgate is CEO of States United Action, which tracks candidates running for office who deny the results of the 2020 election. Joanna, thank you. Thanks so much, Scott. Coming up, don't look directly at our next segment. The sun just spewed out its biggest solar flare in six years. Less than the blink of an eye from the sun's perspective, but noteworthy from our timeline. After the break, Scott probes what solar flares are and how they affect the Earth. Stick around. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. There has been more activity than usual on the moon with the Odysseus lunar lander touching down and on the sun, which erupted with intense solar flares three in a row within the past week. Lots to talk about. So we have Kelly Beatty joining us once again. He's senior editor at Sky and Telescope. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Scott. So solar flares, what are they? They are giant explosions on the sun. Uh, they're usually in the same location as big sunspots, and right now there's a humongous sunspot crossing the face of the sun several times the size of the Earth. These sunspots are sort of turbulent magnetic areas. The sun's highly magnetized, and sometimes, you know, those magnetic field lines get stretched out, and they uh, and they release their energy spontaneously. Now the the guys here in this in the studio are laughing. I've got a stretched <laughs> out I've got a stretched out rubber band and yep. then when I let it go, pew, right? You get a you get that release sudden release of energy and that is what a solar flare is. Yeah. It often uh, emits lots of x-rays that come, you know, crashing into the earth and uh, that's what happened. This is these were x-class solar flares, the strongest, most extreme uh, level and we haven't had one that strong since 2017. Yeah, and and is there a reason why we're seeing the sun producing several right now? Oh, yes. Um the sun goes through an 11-year cycle of activity when it's really active and then quiet. And we're approaching within six months or so the peak of this next 11-year cycle. So no one's surprised at all that we're seeing lots of flares and uh, we can expect a lot more in the in the years, in the months to come. Yeah. And, and these solar flares actually, 
disrupted some radio communications on Earth. Is that right? Um, a little bit, to some extent. Huh. I mean, usually they they are accompanied by what are called coronal mass ejections, huge shock waves of matter that race outward from the sun, not as fast as the X-rays do, yeah. but they take a couple of days to reach it us. It sounds scarier. It coronal is, mass ejection. Yeah, it really is CME. And <laughs> the, the the quirky thing was these three flares did not eject any of this matter. So there was no uh, shockwave washing over the earth. There were no auroras. There was no satellite disruption. I think this tells mm. us that scientists really don't fully understand it yet. Yeah. Okay. And and as far as how big, uh, you, you talked about um, the size of these. One of these, I believe, was on kind of the X scale. Uh, help us understand how you measure these and how we should think about how big these solar flares were. Yeah, good question. So the X is the highest of five categories, A, B, C, M for moderate, and X for extreme. And mm. so these are in the X category. They're telling us that the sun is really waking up and get, getting powerful. And in terms of their power, you know, they on a, on a per square foot basis, they don't emit a lot of energy. But they're, if they're three or four times the size of the Earth, mm. that adds up to a tremendous amount of energy released, oh, within 30 seconds to a minute, maybe. Mm. Uh, and uh, it really creates a torrent of energy reaching us here on Earth. Yeah. How should we think about potential, you know, ways here, we the ways we on Earth might interact with these solar flares or these CMEs? Uh, I mean, we just had a big cell phone outage at AT&T. Could, could that be a possibility here? It, it could be, although that particular outage had nothing to do with the solar flares. I just want to emphasize. Okay. Um, there was a tremendously powerful one of these, the, uh, the most uh, powerful on record in 1859 called the Carrington event. And in those days, high tech was a telegraph. And uh, <laughs> electric currents were created in the telegraph lines so powerful that at the receiving end where the stations were, some of those keypads smoked or even caught fire. Now, oh. we're not likely to have that. But as you pointed out, there could be satellite disruptions from a lot of these. And so that's why we have spacecraft in orbit watching the sun continuously so that we mm. know when these flares exist or when they go off. We may not have a lot of lead time. It might be only eight or 10 minutes, but because that's the speed of light from the mm. sun, but it could be enough to give us a little, a little advanced, uh, shut the doors kind of planning. Yeah. All right, let's talk briefly uh, about the moon where the Odysseus spacecraft touched down on Thursday. Uh, it landed on its side. Uh, so what is the, the impact of that? I mean, it, can it still do the science and technology uh, work that it planned to do? It cannot. And, uh, you know, this was a fairly big spacecraft, about 14 feet tall. It was a, a, a very sizable lander. It had four legs, and the thinking is that one of those legs uh, either got tripped up on a rock or, or maybe collapsed, leaving it on its side. That was enough to return some images and do a little bit of science, but the problem is that the solar panels that are collecting the sun's light to power this spacecraft uh, are not not going to be receiving enough sunlight. It's really a death watch right now. The mm. company, uh, in, in um, Intuitive Machines, believes that sometime later today or maybe early tomorrow morning well, will be the last that we hear from this. All right. We've been talking to Kelly Beatty, Senior Editor at Sky and Telescope. Kelly, always good to have you. Thanks so much. A pleasure, Scott. Coming up, 
Are you listening to me on 1.5x? 2x? Well, if you find the dulcet, chipmunkified tones of a sped-up podcaster's voice pleasing, then I'm going to guess you're no stranger to the trend of speeding up songs. Like a lot of things these days, it's largely thanks to TikTok. But it's impacting artists and listeners outside the app, too. Celeste Headley gets us up to speed, sorry, after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why accessibility is central to Betterment's mission. The real innovation for Betterment was taking a set of tools that were used by the ultra-wealthy and making them accessible to the average investor. And that includes tax strategies, that includes dollar-cost averaging. These are all sort of tricks of the trade. Learn more about automated investing technology at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Lana Del Rey never intended summertime sadness to be heard at this tempo. But if you are on TikTok, you're used to hearing popular songs remixed and sped up. Artists are now getting ahead of the trend by releasing sped up versions of their own songs. For more, we're joined by journalist Kieran Press Reynolds, who's been writing about this phenomenon. Hi there. Hi. Let's listen to another one of these pretty popular remixes. Here's Ocean Eyes by Billie Eilish, Sped Up. So that voice is not even recognizable as Billie Eilish, except Billie Eilish is a chipmunk. When did you start rec- realizing this was getting popular, that it was a trend and not just a, 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 you know, something some people were doing? You know, I think sped up songs have been happening for a really long time. Like, it dates back almost like the 90s and the early 2000s. And this Norwegian duo called Nightcore invented this whole aesthetic of speeding up songs. And so as like a child and a teenager, I was finding a lot of this stuff on YouTube, but it was very niche. And I think it wasn't until a few years ago where you started to see um, a lot of these mainstream songs, especially like Billie Eilish and Lana Del Rey, get remixed. And suddenly like a song, like a Lady Gaga song from 10, 15 years ago would go viral again. Basically, any type of song, like a radio song or underground song, um, a lot of them are like preemptively being released as sped up versions 
Well, we're going to dig into those, but it's not just current songs that are getting sped up. People are digging into the, the archives. Um, here is House of Memories from Panic at the Disco. And when your fantasies become your legacy, promise me a place in your house of memories. Okay, so that's how it sounds on the album, but here's the same song sped up and released on Panic at the Disco's official YouTube channel. So which artists are choosing to oversee these sped-up remixes? One that really comes to mind is like Steve Lacey with his song Bad Habit, where I think he didn't even, originally he released the song and it went viral and he didn't even want a sped-up version, but his label was like, you know, if you do this, it'll really explode. And he did, and then his song went to number one on the charts. You grabbing me hard Cause you know what you found Is biscuits, is gravy Um, I think pretty much like any artist now can see the potential in this and they're kind of just like striking while it's hot. No matter how the original is, it, it kind of sounds both like freaky and also really thrilling when it's sped up. It's not possible, really. It, it's difficult to dance to it, I will say that. Um, and it's not just that people are taking songs and just turning up the tempo um, or stretching them out in some cases, but often they take songs and then mix them in with other songs. Here's one that I actually like. This is Childish Gambino's uh, Do You Like? And it's mixed with an instrumental synthwave track called Resonance, and then they're both sped up. different is this practice from what DJs do? You know, it's not really too far off. And I, I love that remix. I think I a lot of what we're seeing now is like everyone is kind of becoming a DJ almost on social media and on TikTok. Any song now is not a finished song. It's kind of just like raw material to be remixed because anybody at home can make these really interesting and often inventive edits of songs um, by mashing in this case two different very popular songs childish gambino would never have dropped that on his yeah. own you know um i mean i gotta say in preparation for this conversation i went and i i'm a classical musician so i started speeding up <laughs> opera um and it actually sounded pretty good but i you know in classical music people spend their careers trying to figure out um, how a composer wanted something to sound, right? Like, what were their original intentions? Is that not important in pop songs? Is is it somehow a disservice to this this art to change it this dramatically? Well, first, I would love to hear some sped-up classical. I have not heard that yet, um, and that sounds awesome. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's kind of a mixture. I think it is in some ways a, a disservice to artists who are like, maybe willingly or, or unconsciously sacrificing kind of like the longer song format where you have it develop and you kind of go through like a narrative arc with a song. But I think in a lot of ways it opens up new potential because for a fan's favorite song, it's kind of amazing to be able to hear it in like a new hue, a new tone. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes even the most viral sped up songs 
don't totally eclipse an original song. I think people are listening to both the original and the sped up usually. It worries me though, Kieran, I got to be honest, because so much in culture right now is about rushing through things. People listen to podcasts at, at double speed. People listen to audiobooks <laughs> at, at higher speeds because everyone's rushing to get to the next thing or to fit as many things as possible into a day. Is this not people rushing through a piece of music instead of really sitting down and hearing it? I do feel like in a lot of ways that's true, especially the way that it gets these songs get playlisted. Like on Spotify, there's a sped up songs playlist with over 2 million likes. And I think a lot of that prioritizes like passive engagement with the music. Yeah, It's sort of almost like doom scrolling in that way, but like a kind of twisted inverse version of that. But it's in- interesting to me that like artists are more willing to do these kind of, you know, more eccentric remixes, especially with a lot of male artists, like kind of going against convention by basically like chipmunking their voice and making it super squeaky, which is kind of like, especially in rap, it's been a bit of like more of a taboo. I want to go back to the the piece that you wrote about this, though, and I'm going to quote you back to you. Sorry. But you said, So many mashups are low effort and the heap of fast, slow remixes and other online styles form something like a giant musical landfill, the cultural equivalent of a black hole into which we're pouring all our attention and killed time. Have you changed your mind on that? Because that's you being concerned. No, I think I'm definitely still on the same wavelength. And I think a lot of my concern was with also with like AI remixes of things and how that would make it easier for a lot of people to kind of just pump out this detritus. And I think what concerns me the most about this trend is the way that labels have kind of um, seized on it as like a lucrative opportunity where it's a lot of just like every big song that comes out is also being released with sped up and slow down remixes. I spoke with one remixer who said they were only getting paid like $200 to essentially recreate (laughs) <laughs> um, what a kid had made on TikTok, a sped up audio kid had made. So it didn't feel the most like legitimate um, what they were doing all the time. So w- one of the reasons I like the remix we heard from um, Childish Gambino and then mixing it with Resonance was to me, that sounds like something a DJ would do. Um, and you talked about the fact that there are sometimes these moments of brilliance in some of the re- remixes. I wonder if you can recommend one that is actually brilliant rather than just a giant musical landfill. <laughs> yeah, totally. I really like this artist, Lucifer, who is a uh, a kind of, a, I would describe as like a shadowy internet rapper. He started popping off because of this song, Body Parts. It kind of sounds like you're exploring this volcanic dungeon and there's like smoke all around you and it becomes really cinematic. <laughs> And it took off on TikTok because people would use it for these anime edits and these very up-tempo hype edits. And I think it kind of unlocked something that was lurking in the song, but that at its normal tempo, you couldn't really feel. So if anyone's going to go looking for that song now, Lucifer is L-U-C-I, the number four, and body parts is spelled with a Z. Yes. Is this a trend that will pass? You know, I'm not sure. I feel like... uh, It'll be interesting to see, especially like how labels deal with TikTok. I know that UMG removed all of their music, so it's kind of like a lot of it seems dependent on TikTok because of how user-generated material is so 
high priority on there. I've noticed at least this year, there have been less sped up songs going viral in the past few months. So people may be getting sick of it. The trend might have reached its zenith and mm. might be fading now. But I'm not sure. I think that remixing in general is not going to stop on social media because a lot of it, a lot of what goes viral is dependent on engagement. And sometimes the most shocking, provocative edits that you would never expect to happen, they're going to keep going uh, viral for sure. That's Kieran Press Reynolds. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hey, listen to us at any speed you like, as long as you subscribe. show it comes from the team behind here and now from npr and wbur boston today's stories were produced by lynn menagon sam rampelson and james mastro marino today's editors were todd munt peter o'dowd micaela rodriguez and kat welch technical direction from mike moschetto caleb green and michaela varela mike moschetto also wrote our theme music along with max liebman and me chris bentley our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.